Well, this morning we're going to continue on with our series that we're calling Understanding the Times. And we're seeing more and more every day how important it is that we as Christians have a biblical lens through which we interpret the Scripture, uh, interpret the world, rather. And we should have a biblical lens through which we interpret the Scripture. Last week, we talked about God's delighting in justice, how He delights to do justice, and He delights for people to walk in righteousness and to judge with equity, with, uh, with the same standard that He does. And if you recall at the end, I used the George Floyd situation as an example of how we need to not get caught up in the, the mentality of the world, but think with justice. Little did I know that uh, just a day after I used that as an example, we would get a, uh, a further um, uh, video of what had happened there as the body cam uh, videos were released. If you haven't seen that, if you saw the original pictures and video of George Floyd and you didn't watch the body cam uh, video that was released this past week, you need to watch it so that you get more of the context. And even there, I would warn you, we don't know everything that happened. But think about what has occurred since that original video was shown to the world. In the, in the Using that as justification, there's been all kinds of violence, deaths, all kinds of injustice that has been committed in response to this perceived injustice of that situation. And one of the things that concerns me about all of the response, which any thinking person would look at the response and say, it is not okay. It is not just to kill other people because of this death. It is not okay to destroy other people's property because of this death. This does not justify this. And what is likely to get lost in all of this is where true racism occurs. And we can easily get caught up now in all the injustice and think that anybody now from this point forward who claims that there's any such thing as racism, no, they're just making it up to justify this. And again, we as Christians have to say, I'm not going to get caught up in any of the narratives that are being thrown around out there. What is true and what is right as God sees it? Now, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk a lot more about why anybody would want to create all this havoc and all this, this chaos. But today, I just want to focus in a little bit on what we tend to call racism, true racism. So, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the passage that says, do not be a racist. <laughs> or any text in the Bible that talks about racism the way that we do. You're not going to find it. The way race and racism is talked about in our culture, it's not a biblical concept. You're not going to find it there. The whole concept of races as we define them in our culture today is from an atheistic evolutionary worldview, not from a biblical worldview. Which begs the question, who gets to decide what a race is? 
Right now, all the attention is on skin color. But who gets to decide which skin color, which group you belong to, which group I belong to? How black does your skin have to be to be called black? How white does your skin have to be to be called white? If I spend all summer in the sun, do I shift races? And then I get pale again? How brown do you have to be? And who decided skin color? Why not hair color? Why not have races of redheads and blondes and fake blondes? And used to be something else, and now I'm gray, right? Pretty soon we're all heading to the same place. Why not freckles and not freckles? Who gets to decide how we divide up into races? Well, it's, it's geographical, Doug. It's geographical. Okay, so you've got Africans, people who are in Africa. You've got Indians, people who are in India. Australians, people who are in India. Is there an American race? Why can't there be an American? Am I, am I of the race of America? I'm a citizen of America. I've always wondered, we have these hyphenated terms now, African-American, Asian-American, Indian-American. Is the same thing true if I go become a citizen in Africa somewhere? Would anybody ever call me an American-African? Anybody ever call me an American Mexican? Anybody ever call me an American Asian? I've never heard it. Maybe it's happening, but I've never heard of it. Well, no, no, Doug, it's not about geography now. It's about tracing your heritage back to where your race originated geographically. So people who are African Americans, it's because they come from a people who originated in Africa. If that's the way we're going to decide race, you realize we are all Iraqi. I'm not trying to be funny. If the first man was in the Middle East somewhere, probably Iraq, current-day Iraq, all of us trace our origin from that man, then we're all whatever that is, which is the point. Biblically speaking, there is one race, the human race. And we need to keep that in mind as we think about what the world is trying to create and stir up an animosity among races because it's not helpful to get caught up in evolutionary categories. Let's stick with the Scripture. Having said that, what we usually think of as racism isn't tied to those kinds of categories. At least we, can't, we should not think of it those kinds of categories. But what's really going on is there are people who are prejudiced and biased against other people. And that, we cannot deny, is true. So though I can't take you to a passage that deals with racism per se, I do want to just grab one thing from this passage to help frame some of our discussion today. This is from the first book of the Bible. This is after the flood, when all the people who had existed prior to Noah were destroyed in the flood. And now we again have one man, Noah, and his wife and his three sons and their wives. This is Genesis chapter 9, 
And here is what we read in Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So you hear there, if you know Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, that's, uh, that's the same command given to Adam. Now he's given it to Noah, so the, the command remains the same. Fill the earth with people. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky and everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you and all God's people said. Amen. That's right. We're not vegetarians anymore. Hallelujah. I give it all to you as I gave the green plant. Only shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Surely I will require your life blood. From every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of him, of man. Do you see what he's saying? If a man or an animal kills a man or woman... The man or the animal that took the human life forfeits his own. See, that's what it's saying. This is biblical warrant for what we call capital punishment. First-degree murder, when a man takes another man's life, and it's not an accident, but it's with malice aforethought in our current jurisprudence lingo, when a man takes another man's life or an animal takes, another man's, takes a man's life, the one who took the life, they forfeit their own. This is God's command. This is pre-Moses. This is not part of the old covenant law. It's not a, this is God's statement to Noah. Why? Why is God so concerned with a man or a woman dying? Verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God he made man. Because human beings are made in the image of God, if you take a man's life, you forfeit your own. That's how valuable and precious human life is to God. You give yours up if you take another man's. That is the standard for the human race. Every human being, male or female, is created in the image of God, and for that reason and that reason alone is dignified and valuable in God's sight. We do not have the right under any circumstances to be degrading toward other human beings to view them as inferior to other human beings. We do not have the right to do that. Every man and woman is created in God's image. So anybody who would classify a group of people and then say they are inferior to other people, they're ungodly to do that. Because we're all in the same playing field before God. So earlier this week, I've been as you can imagine, thinking about this sermon for a long time. And uh, this, this past week, I was out for a, a long walk, and I got to Cottonwood Creek Park. And I, I'm there a lot, and this day was particularly busy on the trail and on the, the if you've been there, the, the trail that goes around the, uh, the big soccer field. And there's a lot of people. And I passed 
some of the regulars, you know, some of us tend to go out at the same time, I guess, and some of the regular people and, that, I, that I see, and I get up to the park, and the whole soccer field is covered, groups of people doing all kinds of sports and things, and it was, it was wonderful, it was great. And these little, little tykes, the, um, the, the land sharks, some of you may have run land sharks, um, uh, kind of a, I don't know, track and field sort of uh, group, and all these little kids came running by me. And what I noticed, and this was key to my mind because of this sermon, there was lots of different colors of people, little people, running past me. And they were as happy as could be. Little black kids, little white kids, Asian, anyone, they were just flying around, and they, they were just having a great time. And nobody was looking around at each other like, who are you? You're strange. You're different from me. They were just running, having a great time. And I walked a little further, and there's a group of kids in a circle, and they were playing some kind of game. I was trying to figure out what game they were playing. There was probably 50 of them. As I looked around the circle, again, I saw boys, girls, older, younger, different hair colors. Some had multiple hair colors, just one head, and black and brown, and I mean, every, every color I could think of were kids there in this circle. And I just stopped and gave thanks. I smiled. That is beautiful. Then I had this vision, not a you know, like a biblical vision, just had this in my mind. Imagine, I was, trying, I was telling myself, imagine if all of those kids in that circle were white. And then a black kid came on the scene, and those white kids went and encircled that black kid and started yelling at him calling him names, spitting on him, throwing him down, kicking him, degrading him in every way. You know, as Americans, we have that in our history. It is shameful to think that many of us have great-great-grandparents who would have said that's okay to treat that kid that way merely because of the color of his skin. That is part of our heritage as Americans. Even worse, we have Christian great-great-grandparents who would have looked at them and said, that's okay. I've said this I don't know how many times over the years. I do not understand any Christian 150 years ago or so looking at American slavery and in any way being able to sleep at night that that was occurring. I don't understand that. Then again, probably my great-great-grandchildren are going to look back and think, how did any Christian in the 21st century say it's okay to kill babies? I don't know. But that's in our heritage. It is true. And I want to say to all of my white brothers and sisters in this room, when you hear black people sounding like they're buying into the evolutionary race theory and the, uh, talk about systemic racism and all that, they're not speaking completely outside of any warrant for their concern. 
we can very quickly become insensitive to the fact that that was true in our nation just a few generations ago, where that kind of treatment was justified. That is, it cannot be okay with us. Because here were men and women created in the image of God. And white people said, you're inferior to the rest of us. We're going to enslave you and use you for our profit. We cannot be okay with that. We cannot look back and downplay it and say, you know, it probably wasn't that bad. On what basis would we do that? I'm from Missouri, St. Louis, and I can play both sides of the Civil War discussion because we rode both sides of that fence in Missouri. And some of what has happened in the last few months, I hear discussions going back to the Civil War. And I can take either side and make a powerful argument. I can put on my South hat, it's the war of Northern aggression. And we should be free to secede from the Union. And I can put on my North hat and say, you're a bunch of rebels, and all you want to do is own your slaves. If you read the history books, they're both true. And there is evidence for both sides. And it's easy for us, 150 years later, to take sides on that and not appreciate, maybe that's not the right word, not be sensitive to this discussion that we think we are having in principle about what was the cause of the war and forget there were human beings in that discussion who were slaves. And that's not okay. If you have a hard heart, a cold heart to the way that white people treated black people in that era, you need to seek the Lord for a softer heart. So as my thought experiment went on and I was picturing this, I began to picture two men today, a white man and a black man, who are the best of friends and had been since they were kids. Now they're adults. And somehow through the magic of uh, Ancestry.com or somehow, they were able to trace back their ancestors and they found out that the white man's relative was a Christian pastor who owned a relative, an ancestor of that black man. You, you get what I'm saying? So I'm a white guy, here's a black guy, we're best of friends, and now I am able to figure out somehow that my great-great-grandfather, maybe three greats for some of you, his great-great-great-grandfather lived together. My ancestor owned the ancestor of this black man. We'll go through your mind if you're either one of those men. It can't 
not have some effect on you, can it? Oh, that's interesting. Want to go play catch? There's no way. I would want to look back and think, wait, my ancestor, he was a, he was a pastor? He preached the Bible? He, he believed that all man is created in the image of God, and yet he owned slaves? Oof. That's uncomfortable. What would it make the black man think? I don't know. Because I've never been in those shoes. What I do know is, if I'm the white man in that scenario, I cannot ask his forgiveness for something I didn't do. I don't have the right to do that. I don't have the right to stand in the place of generations that came before me. There is one mediator between man and God, and it's not Doug Gooden. I can feel sorrow for those men back then, but I can't ask this man, will you please forgive me for what my great-great-great-grandfather did? It's meaningless for him to extend forgiveness to me because I didn't do anything to this man. We're the best of friends. I care for him. I treat him well. Certainly not going to pay him anything. What does that mean? That's not the right response. And is he going to hold me accountable, condemn me, treat me poorly for what my great-great-great-grandfather did? What good does that serve? Is he going to beat me up? Because of what my ancestor did, what, what good does that serve? It does nothing for anybody except take what was a good friendship of two men who cared about one another and regarded each other as made in the image of God and now destroys that relationship because of something neither one of us did. That does nothing to benefit anybody. What should we both do? We should praise the Lord in gratitude and thanksgiving that we've come a long way from that scenario. If a group of white kids surrounded a black kid and started spitting on him and mocking him and degrading him and calling him names and throwing him down the ground and kicking him, Almost everybody in America would react with great abhorrence at that. Right? Is there any, is, uh, God help us if there's anybody in this room that would say, no, that's okay. We'd be repulsed. The whole nation would be repulsed and say, no, we don't do that. That's a good thing. That is a celebratory thing. It's a wonderful thing. As somebody already alluded to, I'm a baseball fan. I remember watching the movie 42. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. I watched the Ken Burns series on baseball. And as much as I loved baseball, man, just to, to see how black players were treated not very long ago, in the lifetime of some of you. It's repulsive. Have to ride on a different bus. Have to go to a different restaurant. 
have to drink from a different fountain, go to a different bathroom. Had to form their own league, the Negro League. That's horrible. That's not 150 years ago. That's 50 years ago-ish. Maybe a little more now. That's in our recent history. Again, some of you have been there. Some of you lived through that. Certainly on the tail end of it. And we look back and think, oh, that's just, that's horrible. And it is horrible. But praise the Lord, we're not there now. Can you imagine the guy who shows up and says, hey, I'm going to introduce a new rule to Major League Baseball. From now on, the black guy is riding that bus and everybody else in this one. Can you imagine what would come about? Somebody had the audacity to suggest such a thing. We're going to have a separate locker room for black guys? No way. That's not going to fly on every level. Praise the Lord. Is that not tremendous progress? When you think back to our founding documents as a nation, all man's created equal. They didn't differentiate in that document, we mean white man. It took us, sadly, it took us many, many, many decades to get to the place where we actually believed that and acted like it. But we're here. There is no, at least I, I would want to be convinced of this, I've never seen it, there is no legal system in America where you can treat one color of a person differently than you treat another. There's no school system. This idea of systemic racism, it, show me where I'm wrong, it doesn't exist. If there was a true system that in their documentation said, we're going to treat black people this way and white people this way, the whole world would be against them. We have to, we're required to treat people. According to the law, we're required to treat people the same way, with equity. That's a good thing. That is a wonderful thing. Now, some are going to say, well, Doug, you don't know. You're a, you're a white man. You don't know what I've been through, what my family's been through. Are you telling me you don't believe me when I say, as a black person, I was treated such and such a way? No, I'm not saying that at all. I absolutely believe there are people who treat other people with hate. There are white people who degrade black people. Of course that is true. Guess what? There are black people who treat white people with hate. And there are Asian people who treat Americans and Americans. Who, uh, the human race is an evil, corrupt, violent, hating, degrading race. This is not one group against another. This is all humanity since Father Adam with violent intent for other people. So of course I believe that there are white people that treat black people horribly. But it goes all different directions in every color, in every people group. Sin is universal. 
And the only thing that's going to transform anybody is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus came to break down those dividing walls, the barriers that separate us. It doesn't mean we stop being whatever group we're part of. We're different colors, we're different ethnicities, different backgrounds. All of that is true, but Jesus is saving from all of them. And he's breaking down those barriers as man creates them and making us into one new man. And it's good. We must not get caught up in the lies that our culture is telling. We acknowledge hate where it's there. We acknowledge degrading wickedness where it's there. It's true. It happens. All colors to all colors. And we acknowledge the only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another example, my mom, uh, she was born in 1927. She was one of the most loving women I've ever known, gentle, gracious, kind. Grew up in southern Missouri, the hills. Yes, I'm part hillbilly. That's my race, hillbilly. She grew up in 1927. Her grandfather was in the Civil War. I had two great-grandfathers in the Civil War. One fought for the North, one fought for the South. They both died. Interesting family dynamic. My mom raised Southern Missouri, leaned a little South. I never heard her say anything derogatory about a black person. But she did notice them. What was remarkable to her was when she saw a black and a white couple. It was remarkable. She didn't speak poorly, but she saw it, and she, it, it was remarkable to her. And that's especially interesting because my mom was blind. But she had enough sight that she could see, and it grabbed her attention when there would be a black man and a white woman or vice versa. Because that's what she grew up in, that era. And certainly there were plenty of people of her, her age group that would have looked down upon that. I never heard my mom say a derogatory thing. Just, if there was a, a couple that visited their church and one was black and one was white, she would call me and say, we had a new family visit. And she would have to tell me that one was black and one was white. And I'd say, great. Where have we come I did premarital counseling with Jeff and Rebecca. I said, do you anticipate this being an issue in your family? They both said no. I never heard anybody at Frack go, ooh, that's interesting. I mean, if you know Jeff, it's interesting, but not because he's black. <laughs> Where are you? Oh, there you are. <laughs> I think it's wonderful that people came here and celebrated a man and a woman getting married. And not a single person came to me and said, you know they're not the same color. Yeah, I'm not blind. My mom's blind. I'm not blind. Yeah, I see that. Isn't it wonderful? This man loves this woman. This woman loves this man. They're getting married. It's glorious. It's beautiful. How far have we come? 
as a society. When I can watch these little kids run around the park and nobody's commenting like, oh, what's that brown-skinned guy doing with all those others? Oh, nobody's saying any of that, in my hearing at least. I think back to the vision, the first one, the, not the, in my head, but the one I actually saw with my eyes, all these kids just playing and having a wonderful time. And what we should want for them is that they grow up not ignoring their differences, but appreciating their differences and saying, isn't this great? God has created a great variety of people, but we're one human race. And not allowing the devil to stir up trouble, which is exactly what he's doing. And he has a purpose in it. In the weeks to come, we're going to talk about that purpose. But we as Christians need to be better than that and not get caught up in the hype. Where we see true bias and prejudice against anybody, we should say that's wrong, that's evil, we're against it. But don't believe the lies that we're all racist and that we're all against each other. And there's nothing but violence in our future because all of us hate someone who's different from us. Don't believe that lie. In Christ, it is not true. We need to show them something different. That we have Christ. We are one in Christ. We are unified in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. He gave his life for all of us, and we're all wicked sinners. And probably there are people in this room who have been prejudiced and biased against people who are different from you. That's one of the sins Jesus came to die for. Receive his forgiveness and do not allow the enemy to stir up more sin in your heart because you're believing the lies of the world. He's enough. He's our unifying factor. He is everything. And for all of eternity, we are going to gather with millions and billions of people who are not like us. And I'm persuaded we're going to have our same general makeup for all eternity. Now, I could be wrong about that, but Jesus was recognizable. It's hard for me to think that he went from being Middle Eastern to Asian or Caucasian. They recognized him. I think we're going to look a lot like we look now, hopefully our 21-year-old self, right? <laughs> and live forever appreciating that Jesus came to build his kingdom from every tribe, tongue, and nation. One race, but a variety of peoples. And that's a good thing, and we need to keep working to make sure that people love everybody and treat everybody with equity and don't buy into the lies. Let's pray. Lord, we look back, a lot, at least I look back in the history of the United States of America and even the church, and I, I regret the way things were. And it is shameful. Those people were here today, I believe they'd be ashamed, and I know as they stood before you, as they stand before you at judgment, they will be ashamed of those things. The truth is we are all people who will be ashamed 
of what we've done, what we've said, what we've thought. But that's why you came to die on the cross, to take our shame, to forgive our guilt, to make us new creatures, bind us together in you, and now we walk forward in holiness and love. Lord, that's my prayer for our people. I pray we would be wise to the hissing of the serpent and have ears to hear your voice as we walk through these times. May it be so. Amen.